The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 23 where we're continuing in this book. All of us have had examples in the faith, maybe a parent or teacher, maybe a friend. Here in Hebrews 11 we are looking at examples of faith as we are encouraged to run the race set before us trusting always and only in Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews 11 at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin." He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. The book of Hebrews is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ as the only Savior and Lord. We've learned as we've studied this book that these believers were being strongly tempted to abandon their profession of faith in Christ because of increasing persecution. Near the end of chapter 10, we hear this exhortation, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Then verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. There's that warning and exhortation and encouragement to not give up their profession of faith. And then in chapter 11, there follows this, what is sometimes called this roll call of Old Testament men and women of faith with this repeated phrase, by faith, by faith. We hear it many times. All these ordinary people who believed God and his word and who endured by faith. Really an uneven and unlikely lot when we read all of them. All of them weak in and of themselves, but all examples to us of faith in Christ and all pointing to the great example and the great Savior, Jesus Christ, 
whom in a few weeks we'll see in Hebrews chapter 12 as the great object of our faith. In our text this morning, we see examples that teach us about walking by faith. And our three points are these. First, faith calls us to trust in God in the face of fear. Secondly, faith bears fruit in active obedience to God's word. And then finally, we'll see faith endures as seeing him who is invisible. First of all, then, faith calls us to trust God in the face of fear. A number of the examples we have before us in our text this morning, in fact, you could argue all of them, concern trusting God and not giving way in a context of fear. We see, first of all, in verse 23, the example of Moses' parents at the time of Moses' birth. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The king's edict here is, as you recall, the story, Pharaoh's law that every son that was born to the Israelites was to be thrown into the Nile, was to be killed. Can you imagine being Hebrew parents of a son and living in dread every day as you seek to hide your newborn son in some way, maybe to somehow stifle his crying or not let word get out too much in the community that he was even born, wondering maybe when Egyptian soldiers might show up at your door and discover him, living under this genocidal policy that called for the destruction of all the sons. And the text gives us this clear connection to faith triumphing over fear and in the face of real fear. At the end of verse 23, it says, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. What did that mean? I don't believe it meant that they had no felt sense of the emotion of fear. Certainly there would have been that sense of fear and concern, real, real concern. It meant that they trusted their God, though, in the midst of that fear and so fought against that genocidal policy by saving Moses' life and hiding him for the first three months. And we know the rest of the story that Moses is saved. And what a great example Moses' parents are to the readers of this epistle who, if you remember, also faced fears regarding ungodly governmental authority, which might lead to intensifying persecution in their case Faith enables us to do what is God's will when we would naturally be prone to act out of fear. Faith means not giving way to fear, but instead trusting in God. It doesn't mean that there isn't any fear. The psalmist says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, O God. There's an assumption that there will be experiences of fear and worry and concern in this life, but we're called to cast our fears upon the Lord. And then we see the example of Moses in verses 24 to 28. As I read these verses again, notice the phrase, by faith. 
that appears and is attributed to Moses three times here. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now, there is disagreement among commentators about verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, it says. Is this verse referring to Moses' first leaving of Egypt when he was 40 years old, after he was grown, while he was a prince, and then leaving? That would put it as part of verses 24 to 26 that go before it. Or does it refer to Moses' departure at age 80? Uh, with the time of the Exodus, when the Hebrews all left with him and went through the Red Sea, which is spoken of in verse 28 and 29. I agree with those who take verse 27 as referring to the earlier departure when he was 40. Not only does that fit the chronological order of this section, but here's the strongest reason, I think, for this argument. In the Exodus narrative, if you go back to Exodus chapter 2, when Moses sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave, we know that he strikes and kills the Egyptian. And later he finds out that this deed has become known. And the text in Exodus at this point mentions Moses' fear. Exodus 2.14 says, Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. Now, the mention of fear in Exodus 2 is the primary reason why some commentators say and argue that Hebrews 11.27, our verse, cannot refer to Moses' earlier experience when he left Egypt initially. The Exodus text says Moses was afraid. The text in Hebrews 11.27 says he was not afraid of the anger of the king. Thus, they can't be referring to the same event. And that, that view may be right. But I take the view, along with many others, that the mention of Moses' fear in Exodus 2.14 is the very reason and the strongest evidence for why the author of Hebrews is using this incident when Moses was 40 and he left, using that incident as one of his great examples, actually, of faith, of Moses' faith at that time. Think of it. These believers would have known their Old Testament. Many of them were Jewish. They would have known the story of Moses by heart. They would have known very well that the narrative in Exodus 2.14 mentions Moses' fear. But what a great example then for those struggling against fear and facing the fear of persecuting government power to be encouraged by Moses' example in his experience. The author is not saying 
that Moses had absolutely not a tinge of fear in his being. No, he's saying that Moses did not give way to fear. He continued to walk by faith. And verse 27, I believe, is actually the crowning description of verses 24 to 26 that tell us about Moses' faith at that time. When you look at verses 24 to 26, which are, again, about Moses' earlier experience when he left Egypt um, and he fled into Midian. If you look at these and think this is describing the same Moses who was described in Exodus 2 as being afraid, it also says here, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This was no small thing. This was probably a public renunciation in some way of his status and identity as a prince of Egypt. Think of it. And verses 25 and 26 tell us why he did this, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures, the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ Interesting phrase, the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses, you see, we're told here, chose to identify with the lowly and suffering people of God rather than the powerful, worldly, ungodly identity of Egyptian royalty. And amazingly, the author here calls it the reproach of Christ. He mentions the Messiah. Moses was sharing in some way, sharing in the reproach of the Messiah who was yet to come. And he considered that reproach as something very precious. It was actually greater wealth, we're told, to Moses than the treasures of Egypt. That gives us a glimpse then of Moses' faith at this time of his fleeing Egypt. Yes, there was a sense that he was fleeing for his life. Yes, there was some degree of fear, but he was also following the will of God, I believe. And Exodus tells us that, yes, he was afraid, but Hebrews is telling us, ultimately, he did not fear the king's anger. What a wonderful example, then, for these struggling, tempted Believers, and for you and for me as well in the face of our fears. One more example about fear is verse 29. Verse 28 talks about Moses and the Israelites keeping the Passover, sprinkling the blood, daubing the blood on the doorposts and the crown of the door that the angel, the destroying angel, wouldn't touch the firstborn of their households. And then verse 28, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. One verse that refers to this massive event. And here the author points to the faith of the Israelites in crossing the Red Sea as on dry ground. Now we know that the Israelites were far from perfect in their faith. And as Pharaoh and his army closed in on them from the rear, and they saw that all that was in front of them was this massive sea before them, we know that the Israelites were terrified, and they cried out against Moses that God was allowing their destruction. 
And then Moses, back in the book of Exodus, gives his great reply, a reply that resounds down through the generations and ages and echoes in the heart of every true believer. Moses says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What a statement of faith Moses makes. What a powerful exhortation to the people and an encouragement for their faith in the midst of their fear. And then we know the story. God commanded Moses to lift up his staff and stretch out his hand over the sea and divide it. And that is what Moses did, and the sea divides. Imagine the Israelites, the people facing this point of no return, Pharaoh and his army behind them, or step by faith into the dry ground between those walls of water on either side. And we know that they stepped forward by faith. So somehow God enabled them by faith, to believe and to step forward into this miraculous way of escape in spite of their fears. The exodus out of Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea is the great Old Testament picture of God's salvation. And what a wonderful picture it is for us. It points ahead to Jesus Christ and his work, his cross, his resurrection Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the only way of escape from the judgment of God's wrath on our sin. And just as we think of Moses lifting up his staff and the waters parting, so Jesus Christ, we know, was lifted up on the cross that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so I ask you, have you faced the most fundamental fear of life, really the greatest fear of life, which is the prospect of death and the question of eternal judgment before the living God. What a great fear that is. The Bible refers to that many times. And the only refuge to that fear is the hiding place of Jesus Christ, who is the mighty rock of salvation. We are called to trust in him. In fact, one of my favorite Easter hymns uses the imagery of the Red Sea triumph to call Christians to stand and to rejoice in the resurrection of Christ. You probably know the hymn, Come ye faithful, raise the strain of triumphant gladness. God has brought his Israel into joy from sadness, loosed from Pharaoh's bitter yoke, Jacob's sons and daughters led them with unmoistened foot through the Red Sea waters. John of Damascus penned that hymn in the 8th century, a hymn that speaks of the resurrection of Christ in this Red Sea deliverance imagery. The Red Sea points to the triumph of Jesus Christ. And if you have placed your trust in Christ then you can also go to Jesus Christ daily with all the lesser fears of life because you have a new perspective on all of life. Whatever your particular fear or concern or worry this week, 
whether it's a normal, ordinary worry and fear, or whether it's one of the great monumental fears of life, you can face that fear, not perfectly, but you can face it by trusting in Jesus Christ. Moses' parents did so. Moses did so. The people of Israel did so. And we who live in the age of fulfillment, looking back on the victory of Christ, can trust in him as well. Faith calls us to trust God in the face of our fears. But secondly, faith bears fruit in active obedience to God's word. Here in Hebrews 11, this theme of faith producing obedience comes out again and again. If you read through chapter 11, you'll see that it's filled with verbs, with active verbs of what these examples are doing. If you back up to verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Verse 8, By faith, Abraham obeyed, and he went out. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Verse 23, by faith, Moses was hidden by his parents. Verse 24, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 27, by faith, Moses left Egypt. Verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. See all these verbs describing obedient action to God's will that flows from faith. It is by faith. And I want us to think a bit more about the examples in verses 30 and 31 as well. First, there's the example in verse 30 of Jericho and what happened there. The striking thing about this is how Jericho was defeated. Listen to verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled, for seven days. The strange thing about the conquest of Jericho, we all know, is the military strategy employed, if you even want to call it a military strategy. God commanded the people to march around the city once a day for six days. Probably all you kids know this from Sunday school. And then you know that on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, and then the priests blew the trumpets and the people shouted, and God caused the walls to fall, and that's exactly what they did. And very unorthodox battle plan, we would say, to say the least. And the only way that Joshua and the nation could have obeyed this strange command was by faith. They had to believe that God was God, and that he knew what he was doing, and that he was with them, and that he had made this command, and that the results were in his hands. And so, They obeyed by faith. And the example of Rahab in verse 31 is similar. Rahab is told here, we're told by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You probably remember that story as well, that Joshua sent out these two spies to cross the Jordan and go into the land and spy out the land some, and especially to spy out Jericho. And the men somehow come to Rahab's house, and she hides them because apparently the king has gotten word that spies have entered Jericho. And as a result, they tell her to tie a scarlet cord from the window of her house, which is built into the city wall. They had houses that were part of the wall. 
And when the city is destroyed, they promise her that if the scarlet cord, certainly pointing ahead to the, the work of Christ, we would think, if the scarlet cord is tied there at her window, then she and her family will be saved from destruction. And that's exactly what occurs. But what's so revealing about this account in the book of Joshua, I think, is Rahab's speech to the spies. I'm not going to read it all to you. But her speech underlines her faith in the God of Israel and her faith in the Word of God. And here she is. Remember, she's not a member of the community of Israel. In fact, she's a member of an enemy city doomed to destruction. And in addition to that, she's a prostitute. And yet, she believes the Word of God. And this is what she says as part of her speech that she says to the spies. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. It's a remarkable statement, isn't it? The only way that Rahab would have heard the word of God, we presume, is secondhand passed from village to village and city to city by pagan gossip. Now, think of it. It's been 40 years since the event of the Red Sea. And all the nations in the ancient Near East had apparently heard the news, the striking news that Pharaoh and his army had been destroyed in the Red Sea. And now, 40 years later, finally, Israel is entering the land, about to enter the land And Rahab has heard this story. And she's heard that the God of Israel is giving the nation the land that she lives in. She believes the word of God. And she exercises saving faith in the word of God. And as a result, she obeys. She risks her very life to hide the spies. She even tells a believable lie to the soldiers of the king of Jericho saying that the spies had already left. They'd been, they'd visited her, they've left. All the while, she had them hiding on the roof under the bales of flax. Whether or not it was right for her to tell that lie, theologians debate that. We're not discussing that now. But notice that Rahab's faith bore the fruit of obedience to do the will of God. Do you see the application and the connection the author of Hebrews is hammering home to these wavering New Testament believers in Jesus Christ? Genuine faith in Jesus Christ will show up in your life, even in situations which are costly and sacrificial and maybe even risky in some way. Faith will show up in obedience, certainly not perfect obedience in our lives. We know that we still struggle in many ways, but in an obedience that perseveres, an obedience to God's will that may seem very odd to the world around you because you are seeking to obey Jesus Christ out of faith. An obedience that begins to demonstrate that the believer is a new creation in Christ, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and now that's showing up in obedience. Faith shows up in active obedience to God. And finally, we learn from our text that faith 
endures as seeing him who is invisible. Here in verses 25 to 27, we again want to just look at how the the author highlights the nature of faith itself as a looking true to and a trusting in the living God, the unseen God. When we think and we have this description of Moses' faith, it says that he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And then in the next verse, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Seeing, we understand, with the eye of faith, not with the eye of sight. This is a theme we've seen in Hebrews 11. Look at verse 1. The author begins with this definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is a deep conviction brought by the Word of God through the work of the Spirit that enables you to believe things that are not seen. Things spoken of and taught by the Word of God about the person and work of God and of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. There's that theme again. Believing in the existence of of the unseen God and that God rewards those who trust in him. We don't merit that reward. Moses didn't merit reward. The rewards are all of grace, but they're through faith and they're given to us through union with Christ. And the ultimate reward is knowing Jesus Christ himself. These verses are all telling us that faith looks beyond the things of this world and instead sees and rests upon the true and living God. Think of Moses. How did Moses get to the point of actually considering the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt? How did he get there? That would be like giving up being a multi-millionaire Hollywood celebrity that is on everybody's Twitter feed or whatever, and instead becoming a humble farmer. Now remember, Moses left being a prince and went out in the desert by God's direction, we believe, and was a shepherd for the next 40 years. And nobody knew anything about him anymore. And the only way that Moses could take such a step of obedience to God is that the reward of knowing God and walking with God is better and more real than the fleeting pleasures of sin, as it's called in our text. Yes, this text is telling us that there are pleasures that come from sin. The problem is they're pleasures that are fleeting. Their problem is they don't last. They don't truly satisfy the soul. They leave you feeling empty and enslaved and despairing. That's the nature of sin. The only way to turn away from the fleeting pleasures of sin is by pursuing a superior, a higher pleasure. And that superior pleasure is only found in trusting and knowing 
and loving and obeying the true and living God in Jesus Christ, who is the one who first loved us. And so we have the joy of loving him and worshiping him and walking with him because he loved us and brought us out of our sin to know him. The power to obey springs from faith, from seeing him who is invisible to the eye of sight. One of my heroes from my early Christian days was Georgie Vins, a Baptist pastor in the Soviet Union who became very famous in the 60s and 70s. In the 1970s, he was imprisoned for his faith in Russia. It was a very hard thing for him to suffer those years in harsh conditions and and not knowing what was happening with his family. But I want to read part of something that he wrote about his experience, how he describes uh, in the midst of his own suffering how he looked we we might say, to the invisible God and ended up finding joy in seeing God open up opportunities and fellow prisoners' hearts to the gospel. I want to read from, you might call, his prison epistle from cell 44. He says it in these words. When I was arrested for religious activity and denied the work for which I consecrated my life, I lost heart. So there we see him facing this. It's very difficult. I was put in a cell with approximately 100 other people after my first interrogation. Suddenly, I understood why I was in prison. Before going to bed, I prayed, Lord, it used to be so difficult for me to gather people together in order to preach the gospel, but now I have no need to gather them. They are already here. Make me a blessing to them. And he says, the The Lord heard my prayer. Prisoners were coming and going through this cell. In a short time, 40 people believed in Christ. I taught them to sing hymns and pray. Guards often banged on the door and ordered us to be silent. The authorities finally found out what was happening and transferred me to the cell for hardened criminals. Precisely at that time, I received from my family a parcel containing bread, sugar, and clothing. When I entered the new cell, the criminal's eyes searched me. I took a few steps, set my bag on the floor, and looked around at them. Men, today I received a parcel. Maybe there are some needy among you. Divide it, he said. A tall, sullen fellow, probably their leader, approached me silently took my parcel and divided it equally among all of them. Here, this is your part, he said, giving me a portion and returning my empty bag. As a newcomer, I had to take the worst place in the cell, but the leader said, for good people, we have a good place. Now tell us why they transferred you to this cell. Well, in cell 44, I taught people how to pray to God The authorities did not like it, so they threw me in here. The leader smiled for the first time. Very good. Now you will teach us. What a testimony. What an example of faith that prays and sees the unseen God. A faith that perseveres even in suffering. Certainly we would say another entry to the Christian hall of faith. It's unlikely that any of us will be called to bear the reproach of Christ in such a severe manner. 
But how are you and I being called to live faithful lives for Christ now, right where we are? Faith calls us to face our fears, whatever your fears may be this week, trusting Jesus Christ, knowing that you may not know what tomorrow brings, but he knows, and he is with you. And faith calls you to active obedience. And the only way we will do that is by God's grace as we look to him, the unseen God, the God who sent Jesus Christ for us. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you that even though we can't see you now, we will one day see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. We pray that you would help us to live in light of that great day of the Lord. Help us to be stronger in faith, believing your word in the face of maybe the mild opposition and persecution we might experience in the face of our own fears and worries about this life. Lord, help us to know that because Jesus Christ lives, we also live now with him and will live eternally with him forever. We pray in his name. Amen.